everybody. It's Amy and Chris. We're back. Season two. Lots has been going on. Um, so I wanted to kick off this season with just a little explanation about what's been happening. So what's been happening? I'm trying to remember when our last season was. When the last the last uh, post that we had was from spring break. Spring so break. our epic trip to... New Mexico, Petrified Forest, El Mal Pais. On the road. On the road. Yep. Yep. Um, I recorded um, a podcast with Beth not too long after that, so that's coming up next probably. I'm talking about being a a woman scientist in her career. And uh, we recorded a little bit over Memorial Day when we went to Yellowstone and Teton. So we have that unpacking the car, what goes in the rocket <laughs> box, <laughs> putting the bikes on the back of the car and things like that. Um, so yeah, but this one, I, I kind of, I kind of want to talk about cancer. So I thought your perspective is different than mine and, uh, it might be, you know, can all be fun and games. Unfortunately, that's not how life works. So yeah. And based on that, uh, topic, it's just the two of us. No cameos from young Kennedy or young Tucker. Tucker with a runny nose. That's <laughs> the, 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 I was just uh, revisiting our recording from Teton, and it bugs me so much to hear him sniffing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's a kid. That's how it goes. So, yeah, Kennedy and Tucker are with your, your mom and dad. Uh, they are being very gracious and allowing them to stay while John and Jen are in town visiting and giving me some space and you some space to keep things moving forward on, on the work front and everything else, the yeah. mom front and everything. It's been a very busy three months. So It hasn't even been three months. It's the, like the, end, it's the middle-ish of June. Mm-hmm. Um, the last recording was well, at the beginning of April. So when was, when was your mom's diagnosis? So mom was diagnosed with breast cancer in the middle of... March. Um, so we knew before we went on spring break and we almost didn't go to New Mexico because we weren't sure what was, when her surgery was going to happen. So we went and she actually had her surgery right after we got back. So she had a mastectomy. Um, and then we didn't really know what the path was going to be after the mastectomy be- because they didn't know what kind of cancer it was from the biopsies at that point. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know how much it had spread or metastasized at that point either. So we came back from New Mexico um, and spent some time at the hospital with my mom. Chris has been being single dad while I've been attentive daughter. (laughs) Um, It's kind of a weird dynamic. Yeah, it is a weird dynamic. It's hard. The whole thing is hard. Uh, but like I said, life can't be all fun and games. This is the stuff that makes us stronger. I suppose. Um, you know, and I mean, the, what, within two weeks, one week of your mom's diagnosis, you were, your boss left and yep. you became the active acting director. And that's been a complete... Pro- program manager, but... What? Yeah, you know. so weird, weird coincidence that that happened and they asked they they basically promoted me 
at the same time, this was happening with my mom, which was very time consuming. So I have more responsibilities. <laughs> but it, it was not even a clear cut promotion. It was, hey, can you handle this promotion? I mean, and so yeah. it was, it was. They were very fair about it. They, they were very uh, empathetic to my situation. And they asked me if I wanted to do it. Um, and I, you know, thought about it and we talked about it and, or we sort of talked about it. <laughs> I sort of told you I wanted to do it. <laughs> so. No, but, well, I guess my point is, is that it was absolutely begun as you need to prove that this will work. I you, don't, I don't think so. Maybe that's how I explained it to you or it came off to you, but well, I think there are a lot of different things with my job. First of all, I'm in Colorado and my job is in DC, my whole team is in DC. A lot of the major people that I work with are in DC. There's a lot of political stuff that is a part of my job and that's all happening in DC. So not not a lot of people have done this from a remote place. Right. Um, my current boss bosses are pretty open-minded and I think a little rebellious in some ways and have enabled that to give me the opportunity to prove, like you said, that we can make it work. And they're working with me to, you know, do that too. So it's, it's been, it's been April, May, May 1st, the, the first week of May was yeah. my first, uh, my first official day as the, the acting program manager. So yeah, that's been happening along with, uh, <laughs> so my mom had the mastectomy before and then, uh, after the mastectomy, the surgeon, they, so when they do that, they actually send tissue to, um, to be tested during the surgery so they know how many lymph nodes to take out if it's spread to lymph nodes. And the surgeon found um, cancer in one lymph, lymph node. And so, so after the surgery, she was in the recovery room, and the surgeon came out and talked to it was actually Beth and me and Tim and then my mom's sisters, Diane, Rhonda, and Glenda. And the first time that we had heard chemo was, I mean, it had always been like a possibility, but we were all kind of approaching the mastectomy from the, at first it was, it was going to be a lymphectomy or I can't remember what they call it, but then they found more spots in some of her, um, imaging and so they just decided to do a mastectomy and we we just we thought maybe there would be radiation and that there would be hormone therapy but we'd not heard chemotherapy until that day and so that was we didn't we he, he I mean he didn't know enough there was a lot of t lab work that had to happen after that yeah. so that was like the first week of April um and then the lab work came back and it an aggressive kind of cancer so the hormonal therapy wasn't just enough and so after she recovered from the surgery the mastectomy she met with her um, medical oncologist so you have a you have a surgeon we also met with a, a radiation doctor um, before the mastectomy and then after the surgery you meet with the medical oncologist who is sort of running quarterback for all the cancer stuff um, that's the experience she has Kaiser. So that's the experience we had. Um, and Beth, Beth studies cancer. So she had very good idea about 
what the diagnosis was going to be at that point. She saw the pathology and shared it with her, a couple of her colleagues and they had, you know, kind of given her the, what they would do diagnosis or recommendation for therapy. And that's, that's pretty much what we got from, from the, the oncologist. But that's yeah, good. so the chemo. So my first day as acting program manager happened. I was actually in Washington, D.C. for that. Um, the second day of that, I was the first day of chemo for my mom. So I flew back from Washington, D.C. Uh, early in the morning, stayed with my mom for the chemo. It's four hours of IV into a port that they insert into your blood vessel in your <laughs> near your heart. So you have a permanent access point for poison that they put in you, which is chemotherapy and other things. Um, yeah, so I went out, I stayed with my mom for the day, and then I flew back on the red eye so that I could be in D.C. for the rest of work that I had to do the rest of that week. And then what were you guys doing? I mean, like, Surviving. are you still there? <laughs> are you still, what's happening with you guys? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, honestly, I mean, we... Climbing, soccer, right. work, school. <laughs> right. We just, you know, uh, every we just made it work, and uh, you know, we had a couple, couple spots where we actually reached out. But as you know, we don't always reach out as often as we probably should. But there was, I had Tucker at a baseball game that ended at seven, and Kennedy had soccer practice that ended at seven, <laughs> and they were on opposite sides of Evergreen and. I, I didn't, I, I, I worked through all kinds of different scenarios and there was nothing that was going to work. So I actually asked, um, for a little bit of help for someone to drop Kennedy off at home. Not a big ask, but it was actually, it was actually pretty big for me. It's unusual I'm, for us to do something like that. But it, uh, it made, God, it made that, that, that was like the one of the whole month. I was like <laughs> this one moment that I just, I couldn't handle it. I could, couldn't figure out how the puzzle was going to work. And uh, so Tucker was playing baseball and soccer. Kennedy is climbing and playing soccer. Uh, Tucker had three game. He'd have a game and two practices every week in addition to a game and two practices on soccer. Um, Kennedy just climbs two days a week for two hours, which is, it's pretty easy, especially because climbing is, yeah. Gavin's down the street so they can help shuttle. But uh, but soccer, you know, all the games were down the mountain from Evergreen, so in the front range. Fortunately, we didn't have to go too far for anything. Way better than when we were in, yeah. with altitude, and yeah. we were in Fort Collins, and we were in Colorado, Colorado Springs, and we were, I mean, yeah, that was everywhere. But. Right. Uh, so, and then, you know, while shuttling kids from practice to practice and to games, you're also dealing with giant work project, work deliverables, giant airport projects that are still, you know, that are in the thick of and multiple, not just one. Yeah. So, you know, I wish it were all fun and games. <laughs> and it's good and it's bad. I always wonder if, like, if they were going to make a movie of your life, right? I mean, we just—I just watched *The Big Sick*, which is a movie of—I um, just forgot the actor's name—but his life and how his. But I was like, it, it wouldn't be interesting, but it—it's kind of 
strange to think about how much work is being done on the sidelines of of a baseball game. <laughs> and it's not just me. I'm like, I'm sitting there on my laptop. Uh, I brought my laptop to a couple games. I'm certainly on my iPad all, or iPhone all the time. But I'm not the only one. You watch everyone. Other people having business calls. And like yeah. when you have two hours of of baseball once, well, twice a week for these games, and they're almost always set at like 4.30, 5 o'clock. Um, it's Sometimes just, four. Or like the Broomfield. Broomfield was the yeah, worst because they would start at, they'd start at five, and that means you have to drive through traffic to get there. But Yeah, it's, it is. It's an interesting, it's interesting, and I just, I don't know. I uh, I kind of I kind of use them as a a break, you know. Like I remember sitting at Tucker's game and just kind of zoning a little bit. I, from a selfish perspective, um, that was how I treated coaching when I last mm-hmm. couple of years when I coached. You know, I set up coaching at say four thirty. I think it was four thirty on uh, on Mondays and four o'clock on uh, on Fridays, and I knew. Like all day long, I, I knew that I had to be at the field at 4.30 on Monday. So my day had to end at 4.15. And it was, I, I really looked forward to it because it was this like end. And even if my work wasn't done, I had to go because I was, I was responsible for the kids. And it was, um, and now I didn't have that. And it was a little, your days can kind of progress. responsible to do, do more later, do more work. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, we were, I, I think that the strangest thing for us um, is that we didn't know how to help your mom. We didn't know how to, we really didn't even know how to support you um, with the exception of just take as much off your plate so you could give kind of 100% to your mom. And, you know, for a, a family that, we talk a lot about being in a pack, you know, we're the pack. We do, we try to do most of the things together. Kids don't always, you know, Tucker does not enjoy watching Kennedy soccer. And <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't really watch it anyway. He just plays. No, but every time he's like, ah, but, um, I wouldn't say Kennedy's always a big fan of Tucker's <laughs> baseball games. Um, but and this was this kind of, it was kind of a divide and conquer kind of yep. um, strategy with with really big things, and that was a really weird approach I for us. Think. For not not for most people. That's 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 how people. That's how lots of parents do it. That's how they make it work. I understand that. I'm talking about us. Yeah, for for us, it's totally abnormal. <laughs> it was a very big difference to everyone in our family. I don't think it. We could have done it differently, but uh, it was weird. It's still weird. I mean, it's not over. I think that's the, that's the, that's the crazy thing. That's the really hard thing. Is is cancer? It, there's it's the the medical the medical oncologist. She she called it curing the cancer. This week we had another doctor's appointment. And she, so after. After two rounds of chemo, um, chemo is given in a four-hour IV appointment at the, the hospital, and then they send you home. And it's 21 days of letting the chemo take its course to stop the cells from dividing so that you don't grow more tumors. 
Um, so days seven through 10 are when white blood cell counts are really low because white blood cells are the, some of the cells that divide. Um, so it's stopping all rapidly cell rapid cell division to stop can tumor growth, cancer growth, but it also stops good cell <laughs> growth as well. So days seven through 10 are the hard days. Um, my mom got her chemo on Tuesday. Her hardest days were like Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Um, so the second round of chemo is Memorial Day, right before Memorial Day. We were out at Teton and uh, on our one of our adventures when uh, my mom called and said she was going to the hospital. So... We kind of, we just cut our trip short and headed back, straight back, came straight home, don't pass, go, um, dropped me off at the hospital where she had been admitted. So, so she's, you know, as I said, days, day seven to 10 are when white blood cells are the lowest. And of course that's, this is when that happened. Um, and they were trying to avoid doing any sort of surgery because without white blood cells, you can't heal, but they, so they were, they were just exhausting all options. They were you know, waiting and seeing and changing the diet, hoping her, you know, white blood cells would come back enough to heal itself, but uh, ended up having to do an emergency surgery, which is why the stay was so long and really scary. Um, so healing with no white blood cells after surgery mm. is, uh, I think, it's both mentally and physically challenging. So she's she got home last Friday and she is she's she's just pushing forward, but um it's been really hard. It's been but really hard on her. I mean on the on the upside though. I mean she's home. There she's home, but what they're able to do yeah. medically I, I mean I haven't seen it firsthand, but I hear you know, when you tell these stories of the vacuum um, wound, wound vac. Wound vac. And I mean, these, these, the, just the technology and the concepts and, you know, it's pretty amazing. And the, the flip side of it though, and just the power of cancer is, is, you know, one moment you are kind of optimistic about prognosis and diagnosis and, and then the next moment, they're like, oh, well, we, we did some study of the labs. And okay, so now we're pessimistic. And we're, and then they come back around, oh, well, the, the first, this happened and it did well. And then on this happened and it didn't do well. And, you know, it, it, I feel like, you know, you break your arm, you put it into a cast, and it heals. And that's kind of how you expect things to work. And with cancer, it's, I, we're doing our best. We don't fully understand everything. We just, we have, you know, there's all of these different kinds of cancers. There's all of these different kinds of, you know, treatments, all these different kinds of drugs. And it is, it's just a crapshoot with what sticks with what individual combination of person and, and cancer. I mean, I, I really do feel like it is every single treatment of cancer is this, is this, is this just throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's true. Um, uh, my mom's medical oncologist is so good, um, and I think part of it is that there's so much research happening right now, and they are making breakthroughs that um, the 
treatment pathways change all the time. So she, you know, on Thursday when we were there, she was talking about, you know, new research that's showing that one year of chemo may not be any better than six months of chemo. Um, There are new kinds of chemo. Like I said, some of it is this 21 day. uh, Some of it is smaller doses over 12 weeks every week. So they're definitely making progress. But I think that since I work on technology um, and I see some of the progress that we're making in some technology areas, it just seems to me like if you know there's a cancer cell in your body, you could send some nano thing out there to take care of it and and know and very targeted kind of uh, therapy. But we're not there yet. And the body is is so crazy. I mean, there's so many things that happen. I don't understand. Beth, Beth understands much better than me, but, um, they're, they're, they're making good progress. I just think in terms of cancer, it's, it's like a sleeping giant. It's just, it's there and you never know. And it does things you don't expect. And so they're doing their best to prevent all of that. Yeah. I I wasn't, I wasn't criticizing. I was just saying that the knowledge that we have of cancer is just the tip of the iceberg. It's like we, we are, right. we are at the infancy. I don't it, think so. I don't think we're at the tip of the iceberg at all. I think there's a lot. We've made so much pro. I mean, even since 19, I think the, the surgeon said in the early 90s, they would take out, it was almost, it was a life-changing event to have a mastectomy. They took out your whole chest wall. They took, I mean, People died from mastectomies back then. Now they've learned you don't have to do that, so it's much less intrusive. Mm. They can get 98% of the tissue um, so that... And then for some reason, like breast cancer, it spreads to the breast tissue, but it won't always spread to other tissue unless it's metastasized, which is it can metastasize through the, the red blood cell, through the blood or the lymph system, the lymphatic system, which is why they look at the lymph nodes. And, you know, that's how stuff... That's new stuff. We're making progress. I, I don't oh. think we're in its infancy, but it is. we don't know enough. We'll know more. We'll keep knowing more, but it will still be a long time. Um, anyway, so we have a dog. Well, that's the other thing that the whole time we had. We've been dog-sitting. We've been watching a dog, but mm. she's, a, she's like the best dog. Uh, she's a dog still, though, which is like more work. But I think the kids have enjoyed it, and it's been a. I think it's been a benefit to them to have her, as opposed to extra responsibility. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will tell you that you know, Maggie, she's a little Springer Spaniel. Uh, you know, Kennedy's been just fanatic about wanting a dog for quite some time, but Tucker was a little. He was always a little. He wasn't sure if he wanted a dog. He wasn't sure if. And that's the biggest change I've seen, actually, is that Tucker really has kind of bonded with Maggie, unlike I've seen him bond with dogs before. <laughs> she, he likes to wrestle with her. <laughs> <laughs> he, he might need he he would not do well with a little dog. He even Maggie is a little bit too small for what he wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the uh, but yeah, I've been really I've been really appreciative. I think of the relationship that he's kind of developed with Maggie. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Now, he doesn't like it when she takes his stuffed animals or, or when he wants to go outside and play ball and she says, no, no, no. I'm chase I, your ball down. I, it's my ball. Get it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been nice. And I, I feel like Maggie feels like this is her home. 
her second home. Yeah, her second home. I think she's my. So. I think my mom is, and Tim are ready to have her back. Uh, I went over there last night and made dinner for them and brought Maggie and they were like, "You you can leave her here," <laughs> and I was like, "Well, let's just make sure you're not, you know, that everything's okay first and we're gonna go." going on vacation <laughs> and so she's gonna come back to you anyway so uh so yeah I think they're ready and um I didn't tell you but my mom shows she has home health care coming every three uh, three times a week Monday Wednesday Friday um to redress the wound back which is this crazy thing uh she's got a 15 inch incision that's healing um in her abdomen where they had to go in and clean out her whole GI system because she had a perforated bowel and there was, you know, toxic stuff in her inside of her body and with her organs that could have been fatal. Um, so they sewed it back up and, but they leave it open and they put this wound back thing on it, which is this, uh, there's foam and then there's a plastic thing and they've suction out the, stuff the blood the whatever and it it gradually gradually pulls the skin back together (laughs) so so anyway that's not something you just change on your own so she has the nurses that come every Monday Wednesday Friday to change it for her um so the nurse made the executive decision that she was ready to get it off yesterday and so she didn't have it yes she was like a different person without that thing yeah no machine so it's been two weeks that she's had, she has to tote around this, the vacuum, the, the vacuum motor. Um, she got, she's just really sick of that. So, um, yeah, that was really big progress. <laughs> Unfortunately, the surgeon called after the, the home nurse came and did that and said, she shouldn't have done that. So, so, so they were, they were like, what? <laughs> and crazy thing, the doctor's, have like a nine to five Monday through Friday schedule. So the next appointment that she could go in and see the surgeon was on Monday at eight. She's going to go Monday at eight and see if it's okay. Um, in the meantime, she has to take it really easy because if it wasn't okay, then there are all these complications. So I told her we'll keep the dog until you know for sure (laughs) that that thing is off and you know, you're able to move around a little bit more. So we have another week with Maggie probably. And then we're going on vacation. Yeah. Yay. Well, where are we going on vacation? Well, where did you just go? <laughs> I just came back from New York City. Uh, I was I spoke at the uh, AIA convention, which is the uh, American Institute of Architects, I believe. And uh, for my United Nations project that I've been working on for now 14 years. <laughs> um, That's I was, great. It More was than actually, Kennedy's life. Yeah, I, I actually uh, introduced my section as um, this is this is all work that started pre-marriage, pre-parenthood, <laughs> pre-everything. <laughs> Got a little bit of a chuckle there, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, our our session was called revitalizing an icon, and uh, I spoke with the architect who was responsible for really bring making sure that the the, the I guess the original intent of the building architecturally uh, was maintained with the major renovation. And, uh, and so uh, there, it was like a history lesson, actually. I, I found his, his session yeah, really, really interesting, um, even to the point where like, 
So the not that anyone cares about this, but the United Nations is the very first curtain wall ins- <laughs> installed in America. Oh my gosh! It was a it was a brand new technology, and then and it was designed with um, double pane glass called thermopane. It was brand new. Like when was this? Uh, Nineteen. Uh, it was. Uh, it it opened for business in fifty two, I believe. So and it, I think it was constructed from like forty nine to fifty two and. So the design was really 47, um, so 70 years ago. Mm. And uh, Is that how long that was? <laughs> the 50s were 70 years ago. <laughs> I, I, I actually feel like I've been working on it for 70 years. But, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, and, but I think that, again, the most, one of the interesting things about it is that, uh, so Le Cubusier, which was one of the main architects, and I just forgot his name. I want to say it's... Uh, Henderson, Hillerson, uh, it's not quite right, but they were fighting over how to control the sun. Cabousier was a really big fan of shading elements, exterior shading elements. And this other guy's like, no, 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 let's go with new technology. We have this really new, cool glass. It's called thermopane. And well, it's like, let's like not put anything on it. Just let the technology of the glass do everything we need. And he won. And that's why it was. Mm. Um, and then, like halfway through construction, um, like during shop drawings phase, uh, somebody at the, the at the curtain wall manufacturers like our our system is not strong enough. We can't do operable windows with double pane glass. We've never seen this double pane glass as a brand new thing, and so <laughs> at that point, Sorry. they actually had to take out all that double pane glass and put in the single pane glass. And so this whole concept is battle between, like, the new technology. You can hear Maggie drinking. <laughs> Mag- Maggie needed a drink in the middle. Hi, Mags. Yeah. But, uh, and, and so it was, you know, from a theory perspective, new technology won over the old technology. But Except we didn't have the technology to do it. But then it got canned. <laughs> and so from that moment, it was like, and, uh, and then... We had, they just did, I mean, even just five years after it was built, they started putting films on it. And just because everything had been designed around it being this thermopane glass, but then when the thermopane got taken out, it just created so many problems. And so what was really interesting from the, the architect's perspective is that they went back not to what it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago. They went back to the original intent of this argument between Corbusier and oh my whatever gosh. his name was, wow. and really tried to kind of embody <laughs> what they wanted and what the United Nations wanted. So, you know, they had made it purposefully transparent because the United Nations was going to be transparent, right? Um, symbolism. Symbolism. But then they almost instantly put all these films on it, and so it was no longer... It, it's Over the course of its history, it was really never transparent, and... And even worse than that, in um, after 9-11, they purposely put another film on the the west face that faces the city. So it, it was so mirror-like that you couldn't see in, so nobody could take um, sniper shots at people oh. um, because it's not bulletproof glass. And is, is, is it now? Yeah, yeah. And so now, because we have yet more technology, um, now it's bulletproof, it's blast-proof, um, it's and energy efficient. It's energy efficient, and it is really clear mm. um, all at the same time. That's cool. And so it really goes back to this, you know. If you so when you when you start seeing the United Nations in these movies, you can 
you can actually pay, you know what see era. The progression. Yeah. Uh, and now I actually see it and I can tell when my new glasses mm. is on there. So it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. So the architects were 70 years ahead of their time, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things that was, I don't know, I, what, what I found pretty cool, um, is that, um, so you, Cisco Hennessy, my firm, um, they actually were the primary engineers on the job, um, originally. And so, and we are celebrating our 90 year, uh, right now. Wow. So, which means that we were 20 years old when we did the United Nations and we actually did a bunch of energy efficiency calculations and I actually I incorporated them into my presentation. Um, and it's just crazy to, to like, they took these four different kinds of glass and said, this is the effect that we expect, you know, the, the inter- annual energy costs and stuff, mm. um, from 70 years ago. Um, and then, you know, that's what I did for the renovation of it. So it was, it's kind of a, a cool kind of, uh, it is, but to me, it's, it's like, we know where we're going with this. It's going to be much better and we're not going to do those silly, simple calculations anymore. We're going to have a more robust data driven machine learning approach to doing these things. Right. Cause it's going to be different. It's, it's got to be better. We have to get better. No, I, I mean, it, it'll always get better, um, incrementally better, but the problem that I see, um, and and you were referencing my my airport, my Orlando airport, and the Kansas City airport that I've been working on, um, and airports are unique. But the the amount of times that I'm in a room and I hear, well, let we don't we can do whatever we want. We just technology will save the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like we can, we don't it's have to the change. the American way. It is. And, <laughs> and I mean, you hear this about climate change. You know, okay, well, well like at some point, somebody's going to come up with some technology that's going to save the day. And so we don't have to change the way we actually live our lives. Yeah. And that was the argument way back 70 years ago when they built the building. And I hear that. But technology did improve. I mean. There's a difference between, between improving and saving the day. And, and I don't, I don't, I always argue that technology isn't an excuse to make the wrong decision. It tech use technology to help you make the right decision. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, take your car. If we drove an electric car, would that be better than if we were driving our, our gas car when we're driving 20,000 miles a year? Yes. Is it better to maybe not drive 20,000 miles a year? Yes. You know, so don't but is it better to not go the places we go and have the experiences that we have, too? I, I mean, I think we can't go there in an electric car right now with the technology that we have. So until the technology improves, we have a gas car yeah, to do what we need to do. I'm just saying that it's not an excuse. Maybe I should use a different example. But, no, I think that's a good um, example anyway. Yeah, I mean, it... it, it I just think that there's, you know, when we can, because maybe, maybe it would be better if I said we could drive two cars down the hill, like to go to Kennedy and Tucker's soccer game, Which we instead did. of one. We did often. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and it would be better if it was electric. But really, the best solution is Don't just go. one car. And mm. you know, I mean, it was <laughs> not that we're we're getting off track, but uh, it, it was really funny. We went to we had uh, one soccer game in Boulder and one soccer game in Broomfield, which is about 10 miles outside of Boulder. And, uh, and they were at the exact same time. And so we were, the whole time I'm like, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to make this work? And 
and I was like, I don't, I think we just have to take two cars. But, and finally, I was like, hold it. And, and so what we ended up doing. There's this crazy thing called Lyft. <laughs> exactly. Where and other so, people drive you around. And so what we did. Technology is, sort of enabled that, I guess, right? Oh, it's totally. It's the did. app. It's the yeah. like lo- G- GPS locational services yeah. that. I mean, there were, there are no taxis in Broomfield, but Lyfts are everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, and so it was funny at the end of the game. Tucker and I just, I called my, I called the lift and you should have seen Tucker. He was like, I am not getting in that person's car. That's stranger's car. I'm we like, are so old fashioned. Our kids don't know how to do lift. Uh, I, it was, uh, he really was uncomfortable and he said, I'd rather walk. And I was like, do you know it's 10 miles? And he's like, grr. <laughs> and so then the whole time, you know, the driver's of course is talking to Tucker the whole time and Tucker's like, why are you talking to me? Because <laughs> <laughs> now, the now, driver's like your brother, your uncle, your neighbor. You know, it's just a regular person trying to make just, a little extra money yeah, by yeah. helping people get from place to place. So now he's a little bit more more comfortable. You know, Tucker never likes the things that he hasn't done before. No, he's not a he's not a mover and a shaker. But Kennedy uh, is though. Kennedy's always up for an adventure. Oh, well, he's yeah. almost always. But. Anyway, it was really funny because, and and so, but you know, we, you start to sometimes even for us, you know, you get into this habit of like, okay, we're going in two separate places. So therefore we must take two cars, but that's just not actually true always. And I think it's important to always look for kind of the alternate solutions. And it's true with climate change. It's true with my job. It's true with day, day to day life. Um, And sometimes I have to reach out and ask some other parent to drive my daughter home. (laughs) I think it's it's less true from the perspective of health and and this whole cancer experience. You know, there aren't, aren't options like you said. I mean, there are, but since we are learning all the time about what to do, and the technology can't do the things we want, we hope. You know, we can't use technology as an excuse here. It's it is you know it has to be proven. So. I think it's not always that way, though. That is how you look at so many things in life. You're always looking for the the choices and making the best choice. And uh, I just, it's hard to do that in every situation. Anyway, how was your, how was the rest of New York? Sounds like you were, you were uh, soaking up the energy. I was a little bit. I I was. uh, From our little remote on the ranch. Tracked home <laughs> to the big city, <laughs> riding the subway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it was. I, I, it amazes me because I disliked New York for the first half of my life. I really had no hmm. interest. I wasn't. I, I didn't find it intriguing. I didn't. I just. I found American culture to be a little bit too New York centric and, and all the New Yorkers that I met thought New York was the center of the world and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and being the, the anti person that I, my, as soon as you tell, as soon as you tell me that something is the middle of the world, then I instantly say, okay, well, I don't like that. Um, you know, like the center of the world, you mean like New York is the center of, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and, but I enjoy that city so much now. Um, I, the, the last 15, 20 years, I guess, since um, I started actually learning about who it is and what it is and, and experiencing it. it, it really, you know, 
It's lo- a great city. Logistically, it sucks. Uh, you're getting around places. Um, I, I just I was looking around, and, and especially in this world of infrastructure, and I, I just was looking around these bridges and these roads, and I mean, it is a mess. It is an absolute mess. Um, I was the T, the, the terminal too. This is a strange terminal. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> LaGuardia? No, it was actually at uh, JFK. JFK. Oh, huh. just all, I mean, I actually don't think I've ever, you always think of terminals these days as being like these spiders, you know, legs. Yeah. And, you know, you have a center and then it was just a square. And it really was. It was just a square. And they had three of the four sides had some gates. I think there were only 11 or 12 gates on the whole thing. And, the middle of it, they had a couple of restaurants, and that was it. It was, I mean, you could see. You've been doing a too much airport work. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I was Your about, expectations are too high. <laughs> yeah, it was. But, but yeah, no, I had a good, uh, especially uh, Wednesday. Uh, it was a really good day. It was just, woke up, you know, I got up, and I went to this awesome little coffee shop called Birch Coffee. And they, they had one throwdown on latte art. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, just there, there was an energy there. And, you know, it was just nice to see Rob. It was nice to see Gary, who was a, you know, my boss and my CEO. Um, had a lot of good FaceTime, had some nice meetings with clients. Um, then had my Thursday was a little bit longer of a day because that was my presentation. And then it was a full day of just go, go, go. And, uh, and I kind of, there were a few spots that I had planned on taking some time for myself, which got sucked up. And then, uh, and I needed, I should have taken those times for myself. But, uh, so I was, when I came home, I was certainly overwhelmed. Um, I usually feel my isolation insulates me from a lot of stuff and, and I'd lost all my insulation. So in my isolation, I think we're both at that point in our careers where we're losing that insulation generally because we can't be so, uh, so, you know, we can't just do the work anymore. We have to be more involved in the biz dev for you. But, but for me, the, the management, the strategy, which means constantly being, you know, engaged, being, taking advantage of every moment that you have when you're there in person, since we are far away from mm-hmm. our colleagues. And so that's just a, it's a stressor on travel. It, I, I was, you know, I think it makes it less desirable to go, unfortunately. Like when you can't find those moments to yeah. just regroup and come, you know, meditate for a minute. Um, but I think it's cool that you got to go both, you got to, you got two really amazing kind of recognitions or you were recognized for two amazing projects. You have all these other amazing projects going on, but you know, your, your panel was on the UN and all the, I mean, Huge, huge project, amazing results. Uh, yeah. Everybody needs to learn from that. But then you also were recognized for a newer building that just finished in L.A., a courthouse. Yeah. Um, totally different. Brand new, not a renovation. High, super high performance, shiny, you know, all the best of everything building in the evening, yeah. the same day. Yeah, it, it really I at mean, the biggest conference yeah. for buildings, probably. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Los Angeles Federal Courthouse was. Uh, um, it is. It's 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 a really cool building, and but what's I think what I liked the most, and and what I, what came off for me as the 
biggest thing was that the juror, the jurors that made the decision to give us this award, um, is the top 10, uh, uh, committee on the environment award was that they loved it. Not from its energy performance, not from its, um, architectural aesthetic. They loved it because of the way it felt on the inside to the people. That's really what got them. I mean, it was all the, it, Isn't that what architecture should be. Well, but it isn't always. And, no. um, and even in this day and age, you know, Rob and I talk um, quite a bit about, you know, that the building is, is really, it's for the people. Um, it needs to be by the people, right? And uh, Always. That's why we build them. Not always, actually. It's not always why we build there, them. There's but symbols. I mean, I, I think like the United Nations being this transparent. I mean, there, there's a symbol there. The architecture is, the exterior architecture is, is important as well. Um, but I think it's often too, too important and they forget about what it's like for the people on the inside. But, um, yeah. And, and so, and again, just uh, uh, the big, the point that I'm trying to make is that the architect's favorite view of their projects is always the aerial view, like the bird's eye view. They always show the roof. Like it's not, like full not from, of not from top, like a flyover. So you see oh. see it from three yeah. dimensions, but you're seeing it three dimensions from up in the sky. And and these these you know like who does that? A bird. A bird, exactly. <laughs> and but I mean, when you build a little model, like you go to an architectural firm, yeah. and you see the all the beautiful models that they have. You're looking at the building as if you are this giant that is like <laughs> right. ten times bigger than the ten building. miles away, and you're looking with at no it, other buildings anywhere. And well, oftentimes they bring the other buildings in, but it's still it's your perspective yeah. of what is beautiful, and then and it really needs to be be- it really needs to be beautiful from from the pedestrian perspective. Like, what does it look like from you on the street? Because that's where you're going to see the building. You're not going to see the building from up high. Yep. And um, and even at AIA. Um, I mean, that, that is a, a growing thought in the industry, but the, 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 the keynote address guy and I'm not, the, all of the stuff that I saw at the, at the, um, whatever you call the opening plenary thing, um, I'd say two thirds of the pictures, two thirds of the images were still these just soaring <laughs> like aerial views. And, and you can tell that even though they talk it, it's still just like, they love their aerial view so much. <laughs> well, I think we have to talk about that more. I, I don't think, I mean, that's just the, there are so many things to talk about there. Yeah. Anyway, it was an interesting, it, it was nice. And, and United Nations, you know, and I actually said this in my presentation, it's kind of a little levity, but, um, but, you know, I had approached United Nations. Yeah, it's United Nations, whatever. Um, it's, it's a project. I'm working on my project. Um, when I got that phone call from the press secretary from Ban Ki Moon's office, you know the general secretary, uh, secretary general, and they just wanted to confirm with me that fifty percent was the metric that Ban Ki Moon was going to say. That put everything in a completely different ball game. <laughs> right. I was like, uh, 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 okay, I, I'm not just the yeah. little uh, worker bee like, engineer anymore. Like, I didn't know like, that I, I didn't, have an impact. I didn't know that my 50% that I put out to like in my little email <laughs> report or whatever, it kind of <laughs> made it that far. I had no idea that that was a metric that was going to be publicized by the general secretary general. That is and, important to the United Nations. Well, and I mean the secretary general Ban Ki-moon carbon was his, 
that was it was one of his absolute big things he wanted to stamp on on the world and then uh, a concern for should, carbon as we all should and uh, and so he was you know it was a huge huge issue and and we succeeded by the way <laughs> which um, is probably the the biggest success of the whole thing yeah, anyway we should uh, probably this is a very long podcast that's okay we had to talk about a lot ebbs and flows highs and lows it's just so weird how things for for so long I think we were just like coasting you know we were going we were doing the things we were doing and then a bomb explodes and it's like it's the sinusoidal wave it's both it's highs and lows really big highs and really low lows and I'm feeling that right now a lot so just the, I think that the dichotomy of you being in New York and having this amazing recognition happening and me getting sort of a promotion, <laughs> but also having to deal with this thing, you know, with my mom yeah. and her life, um, while also doing all the normal stuff, you know, it's the, the, the kids stuff still happens too. Anyway, <sighs> can't wait for a vacation <laughs> I can't wait for vacation and I'm I'm hoping we can get some podcasts in and get them live while we're there we're going river rafting I don't think we're going to take it on the river but you know in the preceding days as we're yeah. making our slow trek up to Idaho um, I hope to post a couple and keep everybody in the you know fun and games <laughs> funny fun and games happy you know this is vacation uh, space again so six days on the salmon river six through days the, through the river of no return wilderness ah can't wait Just can't wait can't wait all right signing off say goodbye see you later talk to you on the flip side cheers <laughs>